नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑल राइट टुडे इज पॉडकास्ट इज टाइटल शरणा नाउ यू माइट वंडर व्हाई इज इट कॉल्ड दैट सो आई गिव यू अ ब्रीफ बैकग्राउंड अ फ्यू डेज अगो आई हैड यू नो आई केम अक्रॉस अ ब्यूटीफुल एसे ऑन सम वर्क दैट वाज बीइंग डन ऑब्वियसली आलो हैड सेंट मी इन दैट एसे एंड आई एंड आई रीड दैट एसे एंड आई एब्सोल्युटली फेल इन लव विद इट एंड आई वाज लाइक I'm now interested so I reached out to Alo and I told her that you know we're going to be talking about this on the podcast and so here we are so today we're talking to Rajkala Partha and Alo Sood welcome thank you thank Kushan. you thank you Kushan so as this is both of yours first time on the podcast so uh, Rajkala and Alo I'll request both of you first before we get into what Sharana is and what you guys you know do as your work uh rajkala you can start and then alo you can also come in why don't you tell everybody a bit about yourself okay so well i i came to pondicherry almost uh, 30 years ago and uh, after finishing my masters in uh, diploma in rural development and uh, i was working in an organization here for almost 9 and 1/2 years and uh, i quit that mostly because of you know philosophical reasons and uh, didn't know what i would be doing but uh, was very clear at least very sure about one thing that i really wanted to work with children and women because you know that's where my interest lies and uh, i was not sure what whether you know i would be starting an ngo but it didn't take me much time to to really start thinking in these lines and uh, because you know pondicherry is a small town it was not difficult for me to to see the, the the problems because by then i had already got a fair exposure about the ngo world and scene in pondicherry so i started all by myself in the beginning picking children up from different places of work who had discontinued their studies due to you know various reasons like it could have been like you know because alcoholism is a huge issue in pondicherry so many of these children had discontinued because to supplement the family income and uh, you know because of my of my work in pondicherry it again was not very difficult to identify areas and pockets but what was challenging was that i did not get much support from the community neither from the from the mothers forget the fathers and i was all alone in my scooter picking children from different places you know from these little tea shops or little restaurants this i'm talking of almost 22 years ago and the only thing i could think of at that time was to send these children back to uh, normal mainstream education to government schools and uh, that is how my journey began working with these children because you know very soon i came across an area uh in the north of pondicherry where uh, there was a community with almost 60 65 families who were involved in in uh, you know making this uh, dyeing of the yarn they were subsidized by the government it was a government program and uh, when i just went into that community because of you know i'd heard about that area i realized that there were almost 60 to 65 children who were not at school i mean this is like you know i'm talking of right in the middle of pondicherry this is not like you know i'm not i'm not talking about it's not a suburb it's right in the middle of pondicherry and almost 60 to 65 children were not at school why because they were either working to supplement the family income or because they had to take care of the young ones because the mothers were working the fathers were alcoholic so this is how it started and uh, and then the next uh, point was obviously to get in touch with different government schools and uh, 
you know, the paperwork was challenging because many of them did not have uh, school certificates or the transfer certificate. And, uh, and I mean, you know, it, when I look back at, uh, I, I didn't realize it at that, that time, but it took me almost what, six to eight months to, to send these children back to the 65 children back to school. And while doing so, obviously, I was interacting with them on a regular basis. I was going to the community on a regular basis, daily basis. In fact, I was spending most of my time there. And that's when I realized that, you know, okay, this is wonderful to send the children back to school. But, you know, I didn't want to take the primary responsibility of that. It was very clear for me that, uh, you know, as an organization, by then, Sharana was already established. As an organization, I was very clear, even as an individual, that you know I want to be there more as a catalyst and not take away, not look at first these children in isolation, but always keeping in mind that you know they have a family, the responsibility falls on the parents. And uh, that's how the programs grew. And I think you know it's fair to say that it has grown organically and uh, and you know my personal journey when you ask me, I think uh, the most important, point that uh, you know even when i started it was very clear in my mind even now i will say this with a lot of lot of conviction that uh, i have never undervalued the native intelligence of the people with whom we work i have never never it has it has always been that you know i mean we see a problem yes there is a problem in a community or in a family and we are just there as catalysts to to help them to see you know have maybe different ideas or different uh, different options that they have in front of them so always work keeping in mind the native intelligence of you know any community with whom we work so yes that's been my that's how sharana was born that is how i started my work and uh, i think i'll pass on to alu and then we can maybe talk about uh, about the philosophy and uh, and uh, the organization hello Okay, so uh, my journey is different and obviously at some point we meet. So uh, I was born in uh, to parents who were members of the Sri Aurobindo Ashram. You know, so my upbringing is very, very unique. So I studied in the school here, you know, and then after I finished my schooling, I stayed back in the ashram and I worked under my father uh, in a farm called Gloria Land, which is, uh, which he pioneered organic agriculture back in the 1960s, even as Green Revolution was taking. Wow. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's one of the pioneers in the, in the movement. And, uh, you know, so uh, I know what it means for, so I had a very close direct connection with rural India and the Pillar Kukum village uh, from where most of our workforce came. It was a despondent village, it had very high suicide rates and, you know, most of our workers. But over the generations, uh, you know, since the 1960s onwards, I have seen uh, what steady income and, uh, you know, uh, a good workplace can do and actually uplift an entire village, you know. So I have, so I'm, I was never disconnected from, from the rural aspect of India ever at all. Uh, then I uh, left Pondicherry. Uh, I worked there for about eight years. So uh, then I, after I came back, I uh, started to teach in our school. Uh, I, I teach. So my main job in, in the day is to teach in the Sri International Center of Education. And then I also very organically started to rework uh, once a week with my sister who now manages the farm. So the connect with the farm was always there. 
and then at some point uh, and rajkala in fact our children are classmates yes so i have right. always known her from far i mean her you know so in the ashram everybody knows everybody so uh, we i think had an immediate connection the first yes. day we met when our children were admitted in kindergarten together and uh, and we became very good friends again i started to know her organization from far and about 6 years ago yes. i uh, told her that you see i have always worked either by myself from you know i was you know work from home sort of a situation or for ashram either for gloria land or for the school i want to get another experience and since the environment uh, you know all of this uh, sustainability growth has always been part of my system I actually approached another ngo that is into environment protection and all of that but you see with my father's background he is into organic agriculture sustainability but he was never uh, uh, an archaic retrospective kind of a person he always innovated always kept in touch with the latest innovations he always was pro mechanization so that you know he, he he was never romantically attached to the image of poverty and love he always felt that every person in rural india has a right to have a better life uh it's okay if they get the education and go and move you know this uh, bad bang bending work of women hub there is no romanticism in it so i was never attached to anti mechanization anti development so with environment groups the problem is that you know a lot of their preaching is to actually retard development and i was very uncomfortable actually i had committed to joining that organization and then i told rajkumar i said i'm not comfortable because that's going so much against the grain of what i have learned from my father then i said see i'm not a trained social worker but do you think i can do something inshallah now you know and uh, thank god she came <laughs> Thank God she came to the organization. So she said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll find you work. We'll find you work." So essentially, my job has been actually quite rewarding because what I do is that I document their stories. Uh, so we have, you see, over the years, uh, lots of stories, successes, failures, interventions. Uh, you know, uh, we have had to uh, abort programs, restart programs. Uh, we have changed lives. So um, my job was every. a week to come to the organization and I'll, i'll have a list of sometimes even the beneficiaries sitting there and uh, sometimes i directly talk to the social worker and i take very elaborate notes and uh, what has happened over the years is that because i am not completely disconnected from the problems of rural life i tend to quiz them i tend to quiz them very very intensely which because of which sometimes they sometimes i don't know if i can change this yeah <laughs> i think it is it's, it's nice because she has a very objective uh, perspective because uh, you know the challenge we face is that as much as we try to disconnect the heart and the mind uh, it's it's not easy and i always tell the team that you know i we should not reduce these beneficiaries to you know it's reporting is a very important part of our work and uh, and you know somewhere it all gets diluted you know so we try not to reduce these beneficiaries into numbers data and statistics so you know the 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 mind heart link has to be always there so when alu comes with a very objective uh, approach and perspective it is true that sometimes she throws us off balance why why not this but i think it is very important because uh, you know she she claims that she's not a trained social worker but she knows she knows you know we don't need to be trained you know i mean she knows enough and we've given her background it is it's it makes it interesting it makes it enriching 
for the team to have this kind of perspective from her. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a nice balance. So yeah, so what I did do was whenever they had programs in child protection or media policy or all of that, when we invited very reputed organizations to give us the training, I have participated in those trainings mm-hmm. so that I know the laws, I know the rules and rules. I have I I insist on being given the same case scenarios to see if my instincts of what is a good thing, what is a bad thing, is this a is this the fault of the child, is this the fault of the parent. Uh, what should have been the action uh, given the scenario? I need to hone my instincts to see whether or they're not whether they are in line with what a responsible social action is. So I insist that I also am part of all the workshops that they do. Yes. So over the years, I have also you know like got sort of trained, got trained and assimilated into. Yes, the but I, I don't go to the field. But I my work is documentation. Yeah, so that's that's what we do. All right. So so maybe now we start with this because I want to obviously talk about the detailed programs. But maybe uh, Rajkala, before we get into the programs, can you also share what is the philosophy of Sharana? So th- when I say what is the philosophy of Sharana, let me elaborate a little bit. It's not just what is the mission statement. When I say what is the philosophy of Sharana, I mean to ask you that what is that that makes Sharana unique in compared to other interventions that are happening maybe in the field of rural development or child development? I think uh, the most important point that uh, that I would like to make here and what makes our work unique is that we have very strong exit policies. And uh, that is, that's really unique because, you know, I come from the NGO background. I have, I have worked in an NGO before. I see the, you know, various interventions and NGO, it's, it's, you know, it's very easy for us to, for organizations like any NGO for that matter, to fall into this very comfortable uh, position, right? I mean, because you have the funding, you have uh, you have the the beneficiaries or a community, whatever with whom you're working. And, you know, it's comfortable when I say you can go on and on and on. But that has always been our strength. Our strength has, you know, our strength lies in the fact that, you know, because of our extremely diligent outreach, we are very strong with our exit policies. And the minute we see that we as an organization or as a program are becoming redundant in any community or any area, we are happy to come out. For example, you know, we had a, we had a fantastic and a robust uh, vocational training program uh, in carpentry in, in, the, in the south of Pondicherry. And years ago, almost almost around eight nine years ago, we had done a we had done a survey of the school dropouts uh, in that area and uh, in in five villages. And interestingly, the dropout rate was alarmingly high amongst boys. And that was because uh, you know many of these boys were continuing to work to supplement the family income. They were working as uh, as as lorry cleaners, and so we really wanted to do something in the area of skill development. And uh, interestingly, we found a donor who was interested because, you know, he, he was really keen on supporting us because the donor came from Germany and uh, skill development is a huge thing in Germany. And uh, so we started a program of carpentry in that area. And simultaneously, we were also ensuring that, you know, we started working with a government school there. And that government school, when we started working with this carpentry program, had only, a, you know, not more than 20, 25 children attending. So our work was on one hand, trying to recruit school dropouts to uh, to give them a skill development in carpentry and simultaneously working with different areas and villages uh, to enroll these children back into this government school. 
And every year we were training 10 carpenters and it took us almost six years to train 60 carpenters. And uh, seventh year, when our social workers started again looking for school dropouts, we realized that, you know, we didn't, we couldn't find any school dropouts. It was, it was fantastic for us to see because somewhere our work was done, right? Right. I mean, there, and we couldn't, we couldn't find any school dropout. Boys were not available because all of them were going to school. And in fact, our portfolio, if you look at it, if you, if we go deeper is, you know, initially they're all first generation school goers. And the very fact that, you know, sending them to a school itself was challenging, but what really emerged and what came out of this was very interesting because they started, you know, our portfolio started increasing, not, not just going to school, but they wanted to pursue their higher education. And when we started looking for school dropouts, we couldn't find any, any, any boy, any boys. So, you know, it was, it was, it was lovely for us to see that, you know, as an organization, as a project that we have succeeded and we are no longer needed there. And, you know, it didn't take us even a minute to tell the donors that, sorry, you know, our work is done here and we are out of this area and we do not want to continue. And they were quite aghast and they said, but we have the funding for the next five years. You know, you can continue, you can, you can train carpenters. We said, no, we don't need your money, you know, because unless you're happy to channelize your funds to some other program, and that also makes it very interesting because this exactly shows that, you know, we are not a donor driven organization. We are, you know, I mean, the, 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 the work that is done is purely based on the ground reality and that nobody can contest. So even if there was a donor who was ready to support us with, you know, next five or six years for this carpentry training program or skill development in any area for that matter, we refused, we refused that help. And we said that unless you are ready to support us for programs that, you know, where we need the funds, sorry, we don't need you. And, uh, you know, these are risks that we are happy to take, right? I mean, and it also makes it extremely uh, meaningful, the work that we are doing. And we do not want to, we are definitely not an organization where, you know, there is complacency. And in fact, we challenge all of this redundancy, complacency. We do not want to fall into this trap at all. And that's what makes it unique. And that's the fundamental philosophy that guides us and, uh, you know, pushes us to perform better, pushes us to, to, to challenge the work that we are doing. And, uh, yeah, this is how we, we continue. And, uh, and yes, we have grown organically, but significantly, you know, qualitative and development oriented. Yes, it has, uh, you know, the organization has grown in, you know, quantitative, but significantly qualitative and, and, you know, focused on uh, development. So to contrast the other mod, uh, modes of uh, intervention that we see many NGOs adopt, you will have typically one generation getting the aid, say, you know, children are being sent to school. And then you will have the second generation the NGO intervenes again and those children are being sent to school and then you have a third generation up to four generations essentially what are you doing every time there are children being born you are sending them to school so that is not what is we consider to be to be a good model what we mean is when you we are sending your children as first generation school goers we empower those children to be able to educate themselves and then they are off the list of beneficiaries when they have children they send their children to school if we help our beneficiaries suppose they are unskilled we skill them we give them a loan to start a business if you can send your child to school go ahead and send we will withdraw that help 
So that is the difference. So you appreciate the development oriented intervention, especially when you contrast it to a habit forming. Okay, you know, we send children to school, therefore we will continue sending to children to school, no matter how many generations of the same family we are sending to school. So there is no development, you see there. So that in the contrast, this model uh, really, really, I think shines bright. Yes, that's, that's, I think. Absolutely. So, so I had a follow-up question now for both of you. Um, so, so you guys, uh, so what you would call this is an exit policy, right? Now, now here's the thing. Now, sometimes when you go and work with people and you do these interventions with people, uh, how do you guys make sure that uh, I don't know how to say this because I don't want to sound condescending and I want to be very precise in my questioning. Uh, how do we make sure that the beneficiary of the intervention does not become dependent on the person providing that? I think uh, that is made very clear from day one. And, uh, you know, I spoke about the native intelligence. We, you know, we do not go with the typical uh, textbook, textbook structured solutions. We don't go with that attitude at all. Our approach is not like, okay, here's a problem, here's a community that requires our help and you know we have the solution not at all so you know from from like let's say we identify a community or a family and uh, from the beginning it is made very clear and we ensure that any intervention is uh, is because the family or the beneficiary is interested in changing his or her life it is, you know, sometimes as, you know, we were talking about, we have had a failure, we have had a successes. And yes, we have failed because, you know, they come with, an, with, a, with this approach of, you know, we want, for example, you give us a material benefit. It's not that we have not given material benefit. We have always looked at interventions, which is more development oriented and made it very clear to the, to the beneficiary. And uh, it takes time. It's not very easy. It takes time from the beneficiary's perspective to, to understand this because initially the tendency is for them to come and ask for any material support. It could be, it could be anything, you know, ranging from, you know, give us some, uh, give us money to, to buy bags or give us money to, we don't have, we don't have slippers or give us money because, you know, we have a loan and uh, it's, it, it just doesn't work that way with us. And uh, that is why we do not mind taking time, you know, every intervention when we when we make with any beneficiary, it takes time, an average of sometimes even two to three months. And uh, making it extremely clear from the beginning that we are here together in this and uh, making it also very clear that, you know, we might not be here after a few years. So somehow make your, you know, ensuring that their lives are, are, you know, not dependent on us by sheer virtue of the fact that, you know, just because they're, they're, they're coming to the organization or they're a beneficiary, no. Which also brings me to the point to say that, you know, as an organization, we are also always trying to be, uh, to be aware of government schemes and, uh, you know, ensuring that, you know, there is, there is no duplication of the work because, you know, Pondicherry is a small town. And uh, you might see, for example, we have had cases where we have gone into a community and there are maybe, you know, after four or five months, there are two, three other NGOs walking into that organization, uh, walking into that community. And we are happy to take a step back. And because then the problem comes, right? Because imagine in a community where there are maybe 80 families or 100 families, there are three or four NGOs working and doing the same work. And we send a very strong signal that we do not want to duplicate the work at all. 
and uh, our work has to be unique our work has to be development oriented and if the community understands great if they don't understand we are happy to walk out because we do not want to we do not want to duplicate because it's a you know it's it, it becomes very easy it is a very common practice because of whatever fundings and all and we have had we have had these situations years ago we we had gone into a community and there were like you know maybe six organizations working in the medical sector there were four organizations working in the education and uh, and we were there to support the children for education and it took us not even a week's decision we said okay well if there are other organizations who are ready to help you we are happy to take a step back so you know from the beginning we are very clear with the with the beneficiary or the beneficiaries or the communities so yeah i mean like one of one of the stories i had written i remember you know because initially we we really help people who have never had sucker before and who need that push so i remember the when i was writing down my notes the social worker coming and telling me that this child had got a very serious gash you know and in the initial years of us being a beneficiary for that child and he had noticed that the, the family doesn't really treat even a, a, a gash seriously the, the the hygienic practices of dressing and all of that was not there so the, they are handheld in the beginning you know starting from taking a child to the hospital acquainting the parents to the whole uh, network of hospital and dispensary and medication and you know being at the beck and call of the beneficiary initially for every small thing and it actually the, it, it's very easy for a social worker to feel good you feel like in god it's a meaning you know but then the thing is that next time something happens what do you do you make the call saying you reach the dispensary i'm coming so you see it's small things like this you reach the dispensary i'm coming so the parent has to do that the third time there is an emergency or fever or something is so you read the hospital and you know you now you know the system if you have a problem call me so you must understand first of all that we are really helping those who have never had help before so there our selection process is very rigorous second even so for small things like this we do not want to become the sos link person all the time yes we are there for for emotional support in covid i think uh, it demonstrated that we were really their lifeline but slowly you know you empower them there are structures available there are there are systems available acquaint it to them and slowly make yourself redundant yeah. explain to them how things are done you know give them the confidence that they can go walk into an office and get this permit you know uh, initially we do we fill up your forms for you and everything but later on slowly slowly you learn to do it yourself so while we are there for them we are not there for them for every small thing Absolutely. in a prolonged period of time so that is how we slowly empower them uh, with our interventions got it because it's very important that the empowerment doesn't become a eventual crutch you know where you you, you constantly need the crutch going on so so now let's get into uh, so the back to school program but before you guys talk about the back to school program i also want to incorporate a question that i think is a very good question that a live viewer has asked so they have asked the in your experience in your work have you generally seen circular migration in rural areas or there is permanent migration to urban areas that's that's the first part and also what have you seen in your research about the general condition of schools in the last 20 years oh yeah so no the migration no we have not seen and you know as we make it very clear that in fact uh 
you know, we have worked with few villages uh, around Pondicherry and all of them are agricultural based villages. And uh, in the beginning, we helped these villages to develop the infrastructure. 20 years ago, when we started the work, they had no electricity. They had no road, uh, you know, because Pondicherry also has this unique geographical, uh, very interesting, you know, because you're you're walking in Pondicherry and abruptly the borders end and then you're in, you know, a few kilometers, you're in pockets of Tamil Nadu and then again Pondicherry starts. So what happens to these, to these villages and areas which are sandwiched, you know, between, uh, between Pondicherry and it's precisely these areas where we start to work. And we always intervene and, you know, that's where our, uh, our work comes. And uh, we have helped these villages to develop the infrastructure. And, uh, you know, we opened a creche, for example, in one village because, you know, most of the mothers were all agricultural laborers and they were going to, to work. And as a result, um, the, the older children were taking care of the young ones. And the need was to start a creche program, uh, a drop-in center, which would allow the mothers to go out and continue to, to, to work and allow the older children to, to, go, to go to schools. And uh, so coming back to, sorry, the migration. question was migration. No, we haven't, uh, we haven't seen any migration except for students who have pursued, you know, who have gone on to pursue their higher studies. They have gone, you know, yes, to different different states in fact and you know different parts of uh, India to do their nursing and only this younger generation but the families no they are very sufficiently happy to be in that area because you know this is this has been their home and uh, you know nobody wants to even if they're small-scale farmers if they own a piece of land nobody wants to give away that land right I mean even if it's a small piece so they're they're happy to be in that in that area uh, the condition of the schools well 20 years ago, when we started work in few areas and villages in Pondicherry, my God, that was terrible. Forget about the toilet facilities. There were no teachers. And we started working in areas. Yeah, there were no teachers. When, how do you expect these schools to run without any teachers? So we have worked with several schools in the villages, brought these teachers, even paid the salary in the beginning to the teachers and uh, ensuring that, you know, the school gets a good enrollment and uh, children are at school, but things have changed and evolved so much, you know, since 22 years. And there is a, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that because of our presence, there is a growing consciousness. And, uh, and I think that comes mostly from the women. We have seen, we have seen a lot working with these areas and, you know, in these villages. Somewhere the women of a country, they have this formidable strength. And I have always been amazed at that, always, always. And, you know, I mean, they are the ones who have taken the responsibility to, you know, so many times we have gone to these, when we were revamping or, you know, starting the school and trying to, to, to increase the number of school going children in different schools. We were like, you know, we had the support from all these mothers because they were also, they also want a better life for their children, right? I mean, so... I mean, slowly that has evolved and there is a, you know, as I keep saying, there's a growing consciousness and uh, things have come a long, long way. And uh, it's also satisfying for us and, you know, sometimes to see that, you know, we are again no longer needed there. And they come to us and tell us that, you know, okay, now our child is going to be finishing 12th grade. Now my daughter is interested in pursuing nursing or my son is interested in pursuing engineering. Now you have to help us. And that's a fantastic point for us. And this is exactly what we want, right? So, yeah, I mean, we have come a long, long way. People have come a long way and uh, it's nice to see that. It's nice to see the development.
Migration, I think the only point I can make is I have written some stories where, uh, say, the previous generation or them when they in their childhood were landless uh, laborers rural mm -hmm. and they have come to the, the city living in slums or streets looking for better prospects but still remaining unskilled. So that is, if at all migration you want, that is the only thing that yes. I have seen. I mean, no. uh, we no. don't have stories of no. out of state, maybe just one story. Yeah. But uh, that is because of family compulsion, not because yes. of it was not because yeah. of looking for a better job. We haven't come across. But it's the only thing is from coming from a rural, landless, uh, unskilled situation to an urban uh, slum dwelling, looking for work in town yeah. sort of situation. Exactly. I don't think there's any other. No. Yeah. All right. So now let's get into the details of the back to school program. So what exactly is this program all about? So, so the back to school program actually is uh, we. Uh, the beneficiaries are uh, children who are first-generation schoolgoers. Okay, the beneficiaries also almost overwhelmingly are red ration card holders. So we really target those who need the help. We are we are not uh, we do not target those who even have some help. We really go to those. So that is the that is the demography we are we we target. Uh, so we have. Uh, Two programs, the, the, the city and slum, the slum and street that go to schools, government schools, government aided schools in the city. And then we have the rural. Uh, so in, in the rural uh, uh, setup uh, in the Angalakupam village, it's very interesting because every child, it's part of a collective sponsorship program. Every child goes to school under the program. So any child in Angalakupam goes to school. Exactly. So, and uh, earlier the scenario was that the older children used to look after the younger children while the mothers used to work. So, Angalakupam is, is actually quite a total sort of a uh, intervention that we have. So, we have the crash where the younger children can go. So, we every child is taken care of, they go to school, enabling parents to be uh, double wage earners for the family. So, that is one setup in the rural. In the urban area, we uh, again we do not have we have moved away from the uh, godfather godchild relationship that donors have towards their towards the child they are sponsoring as she mentioned very clearly we want to be a program driven um, driven uh, yeah, institute okay. organization so it's not that you know um, uh, x amount of money given for a y child should be used for that child alone during the course of the scholastic year what we have told our donors and they have all agreed to our philosophy is that these children need to go to school. You can audit who we are taking as our beneficiaries. So they are free to see that we really cater to those who really need to go to school. We, uh, we need funds and the requirement for a child can be different from another child. Therefore, we have broken away from the uh, from the parinash system, from the donor, uh, godfather or godparent to godchild uh, relationship. What we have done is that give us, if you trust our interventions, we have a pool of funds for the back to school program, wherein our main objective is to send children back to school, to see to it that they don't drop out, to sometimes give nutritional uh, supplements if we see that the child is very, very sick or to give all sorts of other supplements, uh, su su different and every child is different. So that is some, that is a huge change actually. That's a very big contrast to other models where you have X amount of money given by Y for one child. So that is the back to school model. 
so in the process we are sending about we are sending almost around nearly 900 children and uh, we work with almost uh, uh, 80 schools across yes. pondicherry and out of that almost 40 are government schools and that is very important for us because you know and you know it also matches the 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 kind of beneficiaries with whom we are working and uh, we we talk about they're all red ration card holders and you know first generation school goers the family situation is challenging and we ensure that you know these children are first primarily enrolled in government schools that's very very important and uh, i think the second point that our, our work is uh, makes it also interesting and you know really uh, fruitful is our outreach and uh, it becomes you know it, again when i was talking about it you know it is very easy to fall into this complacency and this you know okay a child has been you know continues to get the support and then the child will go to school but our work does not stop there because you know when they come back home for example these children many of these uh, students it is very easy to see them taking up odd jobs in the evenings right i mean to supplement the family income and uh, during our outreach you know in the beginning we realized that you know we have to do something about it right i mean what is the purpose of Uh, again you know we don't want to say that you know a child should not go and work because sometimes money is important and it's very easy for us to go to a family walk to the family and say that you know no don't send your child to work and the family will look back at us say that you know okay the child is bringing an income into the family what are we going to do and that is where our work is also very holistic and in doing so we have again grown organically or developed projects so back to school program we realized that you know when we started sending these children we realized that you know homework help center was a very very important aspect of this work because when children come back from school they have absolutely no means or access to even do their homework i mean this is again 22 years ago they had no electricity for example now all of them have got uh, one light service or they have electricity at home so we have built a very robust uh, homework help center where we invite teachers and we have employed teachers in fact and we receive uh, today as of today because of covid restrictions almost 200 children every day to do their homework because that is the time when the children come to the center and they do their homework and thereby we ensure that these children are not picking up habits uh like you know alcoholism because we have seen too much we have seen 8 year old 9 year olds getting into these you know into these shops and it's it's not been easy it has been very very challenging journey for all of us and uh, very easy for these children to be victims of various types of abuse and we have to be also careful we have to ensure that and uh, so homework help center provides that kind of setup for us to ensure that you know these children are not at risk and uh, thereby also ensuring that there is no drop out because it's very easy for them to discontinue their studies very easy and that's where our outreach work is diligent and uh, you know holistic yeah and also again to give you an impression as to why these children need it first of all they cannot afford the tuitions and uh, without that supplementary you know that in the in the school system it's very difficult to even pass an exam so we have qualified teachers who who are there during the evening hours so the children come from school and uh, they are hungry like hell so first thing we do is to give them a nice cup of hot milk and a snack and uh, i don't know and i, I don't think the situation would have changed especially after covid but mm -hmm. for many of them that is in fact the last meal of the day yeah. so the literally the midday meal the midday meal is a huge incentive to send children to school 
And then the homework help center snack that we give them is very often the last meal of the day for the child. Mm -hmm. So that is actually incentivizing them to come. And then we have trained teachers there at their disposal. And then there is more continued accompaniment to, for the children so that they can finish their homework, fill up the gaps they haven't understood in class. So the back to school has these two aspects. We literally send them to school. And then after school, we do the gap filling and we give them the meal. And there's a third aspect where they finish their 10th and 12th. And that is when we need to counsel them very diligently. Because remember, these are people who have just come out of the unskilled labor sector to really motivate them to get into vocational. So we have had uh, dialysis experts, uh, uh, technicians, lab technicians, mechanics, uh, uh, AC repair, all sorts of uh, even actually nursing. Some are, some are outstanding. Oh, we've had engineers. Yeah, we've had engineers, engineers and uh, and people have gone into yes. IT sectors. Two yes. people whom we really motivate to take up things that will immediately pay yes. and uplift their lifestyle. You know, their, their their life situation. Literally, from eating one meal a day, finally that family will eat four meals a day. Exactly. You know. So we so bit after the tenth and the twelfth we 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 really accompany them extremely closely and we guide them to take up things that will immediately change their life. So these are the three aspects for back to school. So so if I was to ask you guys, what are the possible roadblocks and problems you guys face? I know you did touch upon it, uh, that but but if I was to say what 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 are the problems you face and what kind of kinds of interventions are needed then? I think uh, I think the first would be that uh, you know there is by sheer virtue of you know the the economic background of these families uh, the real philosophy when we talk about you know like uh, uh, we don't want these people to uh, the families to become dependent I think the biggest challenge that we face is that uh, given the circumstances given their economic condition sometimes it is not easy for them to continue with their studies and uh, very easy for them to drop out extremely easy for them to drop out because you know there is this there is this uh, i mean i'm not saying that it's growing but uh, yes okay we will continue till 12th then what what are we going to do after 12th i mean okay we'll do graduation what are we going to do after graduation you know because let's not forget that there are first generation school goers and you know going to a college itself is challenging for them and then when they realize when they see that most of them end up either as you know sales girls or 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 you know not not i mean the examples that we are talking about are small numbers right small figures i mean we are talking about nurses but these are all huge success stories for us i mean especially when we look at the background so i think we need to work a lot on creating this 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 uh, not just awareness but also somewhere taking the content up and work with work with different schools and give them the possibility of you know uh, this how do i say that uh, you know during our homework help centers to give them content that is that makes it easier for them to to not just fall in love with the academics but uh, they don't have the possibility of uh, how do i say they don't have the possibility of uh, you know nobody is there let's say to to teach them properly let's say you know there was a boy for example it just i mean i'm just reminded of the story there was a boy called jana who was brilliant in mathematics alu has i think penned his story yes. absolutely brilliant from the streets of pondicherry and this 
you know, it was so difficult for the school to even focus on that. And we started, you know, extra tuition classes. And uh, so there are children who are bright, but we need to identify these children. And the biggest block for us is to match these, match these interests along, you know, and match it with, with potential support system. Viability also. Viability also that, yeah, definitely. So that is extremely challenging. And uh, I don't <clears> think so we have arrived there. Because for us, just the fact that you know these children are going to continue to go to school itself is a huge success. But uh, we really would like to introduce them to science, to you know, to to so many aspects. There are children who come and ask. We had, in fact, for example, somebody coming from. Uh, we work with an organization, a very interesting organization called Samskriya Foundation from Chennai, and she was, you know, there was there was this person who was coming on a regular basis to teach. Uh, different experiments, scientific experiments, and these children were like, wow. And uh, we know that, you know, there, there are children where, you know, we can tap uh, the, the, the sheer brilliance of their minds, but, uh, yeah, but we have not been able to do that. And uh, that's a pity. I mean, we are like, I mean, frankly putting it, we are, I mean, we are lost also. We don't even know how to go about it. I mean, that is for us the biggest challenge. <clears throat> So a follow-up, and I'm going to incorporate another question uh, from a live viewer here. So are interventions based on gender too? Like there might be different interventions for a boy vis-a-vis uh, -vis a girl. So somebody has asked, is there increased school absenteeism or dropouts among, uh, let's say, when girls attain a menstruating age? And, and is Sharana trying to, you know, maybe teach girls more about uh, uh, those aspects uh, in, although in the health and all those other areas too? Are you guys facing those problems too, which are gender-based? In the beginning, we had, we had a lot of problems when the girls would attain puberty, the school dropout is to drop and that was very common, very common. But this is I'm talking of, you know, 10 years ago, but uh, not anymore. I think our work speaks for itself and uh, I think, uh, no, we don't see this number drastically getting reduced. Yes, simultaneously, we do create a lot of awareness on uh, menstrual health. We work with like-minded organizations. And, uh, you know, for example, we have a very interesting program of sports and uh, it was initially challenging for us to enroll girls into this program because the families were not ready to send girls wearing uh, track pants or T-shirts to go and play. Uh, but that was that was years ago, not anymore. No, absolutely not. But I must add okay, now that a couple of stories. Sure, sure. Go ahead. COVID put a lot of pressure on parents to marry off their girls. And we, our workers, our social workers have done some exemplary work in preventing that from happening, convincing the One girl, a story I wrote, uh, she was encouraged to relocate from Coimbatore where the family had shifted because she had promised and she kept on reaching out to the social worker saying, I want to study. But, you know, it, she's an extra mouth to feed for the family. And she had reached, uh, you know, 16, 17, that age group. And uh, so I think that story made me very happy during COVID times that actually we, we convinced the parents first to let her appear for the 12th exam and then she scored well. So then we, uh, we convinced them to uh, let her, you know, enroll into a vocational training program. And uh, the thing is that, you know, one of the things we do is we pay them a stipend to incentivize uh, the fact that they should continue with the vocational training and not get into some paltry uh, uh, engagement elsewhere you know like a sales girl or something i'm not i'm not condemning the work what i'm saying is that it is it is 
if you have upskilled more you don't need to do something that is that 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 takes your skill level low so uh, we have so during covid time i think uh, our social workers that there have been cases where they have really done extremely extensive thorough outreach to prevent girls from getting married uh, but but that like she said by and large we have crossed that step yes you yeah. know as a society that step yeah. has been crossed yeah All right now let's talk about another program that you guys have which is the social entrepreneurship program for women now this is something i was really interested in i'll give you a small story so i was also working in a couple of villages under the sansad adarsh gram yojana and over there we created we obviously you know we tied up with uh, uh, anita dongre's uh, foundation and they set up a proper manufacturing unit for tribal women and uh, uh women work there even now they are manufacturing <laughs> garments for global desi and stuff like that and they have a huge program there and uh, so many women were working so so i actually was very excited so 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 what exactly is this about so yeah it's a it's a flagship program of the organization we are super excited about it because it's uh, new yet at the same time uh, we have had an experience in a village uh, when we almost 10 years ago and um, we had uh, started a microcredit program uh, in the village well not microcredit social entrepreneurship in the village 10 years ago and it was phenomenally a successful program but somehow because of lack of funding and uh, we had to close down that project and you know how as i keep saying that we have grown as an organization organically based on the needs of the community so this program we became seriously interested because you know once we we kind of uh, established this back to school program and we you know I, i if you remember i spoke about um, that we have always been immensely impressed with the with the strength and the resilience of the mothers with whom we we have been working with the women we have been working and once we kind of you know established this back to school program and because of a sheer interaction with the mothers because the children were coming to our center uh we were very keen and you know it was also again going back and forth the women were coming and asking us because you know most of them are working as housemaids or 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 um, working as uh, cleaners in some places and and there came a time when you know not one not two but more than 25 30 women were coming and asking mm-hmm. us about uh, you know giving them a loan because they were interested they got the confidence and they knew that their children will not just continue their studies and so this idea was kind of born again organically because we thought that this is going to be an interesting program because the idea the basic idea behind us was not only to empower the women but also you know once the business is established once they you know uh, the business takes off uh, to create less and less dependency in the organization and uh, that was quite an interesting uh, angle that we thought that we should look at and uh, you know if we are talking about exit policies if we talk about you know as a philosophy we really want to to ensure that children should not or the family should not become dependent we need to find solutions also right and we thought that this could be an emerging solution where we empower the women we start help them help her to start an economic activity and once the business is established thereby reducing the load on sharana and uh, we thought we'll experiment it and uh, we met few women and they were super receptive about it and they said yes i mean you know we also do not want to continue to be dependent to the organization be sure that you know we are going to continue to send our children to school and uh, yeah we can study so that is how the 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 project was born and uh, and it wasn't again difficult because 
we already knew the mothers very well right the only challenging part for us was to what could be the nature of the business and uh, that is where we had to study the viability of the business proposal we were also new in this field and we did not have any help and uh, it was a very transparent discussion and we stuck with very basic uh, business models like you know again knowing pondicherry uh, a fruit cart would have always you know we we thought okay that's not a bad idea a small tiffin shop is not a bad idea where the loan amount is also not very big and that's how we we started the 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 project and uh, interestingly in the rural area in the villages where we are working we also wanted to target those women uh, they were very keen on getting a cow now you know when we are talking about a cow it costs something like 45000 45 to 50000 rupees and we did not want to give you know or, or we had to cap the 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 amount right and we did not want to exceed more than 18 to 20 and uh, again you know because of discussion they said okay we they are ready to support 50% of the funding and we supported we gave them 50% of the funding and that's how the program grew and um, again you know we were taking baby steps we did not want to start with 50 60 women luckily we got the funding from uh, luxembourg somebody who was very keen on you know who came to visit our program in fact he came as a donor to audit uh some other project the, the skill development project and uh, we were just pitching this idea and he was very interested and he said okay go ahead and you know we are ready to help you with some with some funding and uh, we started really slowly and in one year we saw that you know the repay of course it's an interest free program and we do not charge any interest and the repayment was quite successful and they were sincere and you know even things like you know like for example during deepavali festival they would they would come to us and they would say that you know sorry this month we do not want we cannot repay we can repay but we do not want to repay because we want to keep this money for the festival in the house and you know so we kind of established a very nice rapport with the women and things just evolved i mean we are lucky of course we worked for it and uh, a lot and uh, slowly the number grew and today we are supporting more than 120 loans we have distributed and uh, yes sometimes we have challenges when it comes to repayment and uh, covid of course took a big uh, toll on the businesses it was not easy for the for the women but by and large you know they are again coming back they are you know they are like mm. bouncing back right and slowly and uh, and uh, they are always very very aware of the fact that you know their ultimate objective is to become independent some of them have taken for example top up loans and they have never forgotten the fact that you know uh, there is a there is a kind of a if i can say a soft movement that uh, we are like trying to advocate that you know if the business picks up really well their children should not be getting the support from the organization and they have always you know kind of uh, nurtured it and they are aware of it they are conscious of it and uh, you know we are we are we are yeah we are quite optimistic and uh, we have supported them with a lot of value added uh, uh, value added workshops and uh, we organize meetings for them and uh, you know with different uh, resource people because as i told you that we are not equipped to handle everything right and the ultimate objective is a part of course from that is to also help them to learn to save right i mean that makes it the most challenging part of this work because the husbands are aware of the fact that you know these women are earning an income and uh, so the fact that you know we open bank accounts the fact that you know every money every loan that is distributed is also not given as cash we give it uh, as a check payment and it goes directly into the account and 
it's interesting yet challenging for the women and for us as an organization because you know the minute 30th or 31st comes the husbands are waiting you know sometimes the husbands have walked into the the area of work and they know that you know the the wives have got money and you know they harass them they 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 want the money because they want to go and drink and uh, that still continues to remain a challenge but uh, we are we are getting there we are getting there to help them to learn to save and uh, you know the transaction should be, should be between the woman and the bank and uh, but we have a long way to go a long long way to go yeah so i think with uh, with regard to the women entrepreneurship program what we saw during covid was that uh, some of them had just got their loans the, the businesses were just two months old and it came to a complete halt so uh, if you uh, i invite your viewers to actually uh, browse our website we have a um, uh, an art, a blog with 15 stories of women how they innovated like for instance if somebody was she had a skill during festivals you know she etches um names on rice grain you know so she basically her enhancement of business was to give her a better cart and things like that and obviously with uh, with the temples closed and festivals off that particular business came to a complete halt so it's interesting how these women once the taste of independence uh, was uh, was felt they 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 innovated they innovated what is their skill they know how to make idli what is their skill they know how to set curd what is their skill they know how to they they will take the trouble to go to the wholesale market and bring the produce to their little shops and sell it for a you know marginal profit and give it to the people during lockdown you know so they took risks and they innovated uh, somebody selling sarees uh, started to open a tiffin shop uh, you know after the initial lockdown finished and then slowly they went back to the old business once the lockdown relaxed yeah. but the the resilience we saw absolutely in these really ladies really. not willing to give up the autonomy was phenomenal and it's not that debt did accrue it did but they, they didn't give up they just didn't give up and amazing stories of resilience yeah yeah that's actually was going to be one of my questions that how bad has covid hit you know not only the the beneficiaries of the help that you guys are going to be giving i mean i mean covid did a number on everyone so i was just going you know, about it good that you spoke about it but now you know because we are in the latter half and you know we'll be winding up so loud let us focus this so so let's say if somebody did want to support you guys you know we've we've covered the programs we've covered them in detail so let's say if somebody came to me and told me are bhai tune podcast to kar di support kaise kare so so and i know you know the normal cliche thing is yeah i know there is the financial aspect to support which is obviously you know uh, as they say bhuke pet bhajan na hove gopala so you know obviously money is needed in everything that that is there but what i what i wanted to you know also request you guys is that yes the first bit is obviously supporting you guys but beyond that also how can people support you if they wanted to i think uh, we would be happy to have some you know volunteers this is something that um, as an organization we face this challenge right i mean from indian volunteers we receive applications from throughout the world i mean i'm talking of an average of almost 500 applications in a year from across the world i mean europe america australia new zealand and all and we don't take even a single one we we just don't encourage that that's a different topic but uh, what would be interesting is that uh, you know as an organization if we can receive volunteers with specific skills 
right? I mean, which we can define later. I mean, when somebody is interested, I mean, based on specific skills, if they can come and spend a uh, few weeks to few months to impart those skills, not only to the, you know, it's not it's not just to the beneficiaries, but even the team requires, right? I mean, we are, are, we are blessed with a phenomenal team. All of them are doing a fantastic job, but, uh, you know, even something like report writing, let's talk about that. And, you know, you send the, you send the social worker to the field, this, Social work is going to do a fantastic job, brilliant job, come back and all. But how do we translate all of that into report? So it would be interesting for us to receive and see more Indians coming to volunteer with us with specific set of skills. That would be the first thing I would like to say. Yes, as you say, money is important, but uh, we would be extremely happy to receive some volunteer support from anywhere in the country. What we have seen is that during COVID times, we must admit that uh, hunger came back very strongly and we fed, uh, we distributed about 2 lakh mm -hmm. packets mm -hmm. of food and we saw Indians being very forthcoming uh, relatively to, to, to give money for, for feeding, which is, which is actually very instinctive with us. But yeah, but uh, we have other programs too and uh, now that we have described to you the way we use the funds, it would be interesting if uh, they come with specific intentions to enhance any of our programs in that sort of way. Yeah, that would be that would be Absolutely. very good. But one must say that uh, you know uh, one of the fallouts was that hunger came back very oh, strongly, it was, and it was and we just stopped distributing our food packets actually yeah. uh, since Omicron. I mean, there was a time when uh, COVID uh, hit the country. Uh, there was a time it was in just down two three months later. It was, we all felt that, you know, 20 years of work has been undone. We were so scared because these children would, you know, discontinue their studies. And as Alo says, that hunger was so predominant. I mean, there were, we have witnessed a child walking into the center because when you, when we reopened, for example, when we reopened the center, uh, when we got the permission from the government and, you know, soft openings were happening. So we wanted the children to come and Digital divide was a huge That is very thing. important. Yeah. Digital divide was felt. I mean, none of these government school-going children were had access to education for two, two years. So we established smart classrooms and we started inviting children, you know, nearly 200, 250 children every day to come and uh, so we had a curriculum, uh, you know, based on the, on the, the in Tamil medium and based on the age group. And then we were really bringing the children from eight o'clock in the morning and imagine making the food every day to distribute every day, almost thousand meals were being distributed. So we have witnessed like, for example, an eight year old kid waiting at eight o'clock in the morning, knowing very well the center is going to open at nine with a hope that, you know, he will get some tea or some biscuit or, or anything to drink because only to after after talking to him only to realize that, you know, this child has not eaten for two days and uh, hunger was such an issue, such an issue. And, you know, we have so many stories that, you know, the first thing for us that we decided to do was to start making food. Yes, provisions were distributed, but then we said, no, we have to start making hot meals. And it was a very simple meal and we were distributing 1000 meals a day. And because, you know, lack of midday meal program, the schools were shut down. And as we have put it in the bay, as we have spoken in the beginning, that most of these children, many of these children, this is the only access they have to a proper meal, a midday meal program at school. And uh, when this was shut down, they had no access. And uh, yeah, it took a, it was it was a very very difficult time for for us as an organization. But really nice to see that you know many Indians came forward and uh, donated for for. Uh, to, to distribute food 
and uh, yeah so i think yeah volunteer is one thing there maybe definitely the other thing is that you know given the fact that we have very detailed record keeping in a master database of all our children the modes of intervention the types of programs failures successes improvements uh, we would actually love if if people with academic backgrounds came and used our data and generated really i'm sure very interesting um, uh, information would come out after processing what we have done in the last 20 years to show what works what doesn't you exactly. know and uh, improvement in lifestyles because we have it all in detail mm -hmm. from our outreach in a master database but we need someone with that sort of research oriented academic background to be able to see the work that we do and surely these this work can be translated into into really papers, yeah, exactly. yeah into papers. papers that can yeah. that can ultimately show that these sort of practices work and yes. because you see uh, th the good thing about sharana and that is one thing that really attracted me to the organization as well as my father's work is that there is nothing theoretical and one of the things that rashkala told me when she when i spoke to her first and i really love that story is that she kept going back to the village again and again and again because here she was a graduate she knew she had worked in an ngo and she realized that you know uh, none of the solutions you are taught in your head actually is applicable till people you are wanting you, you think change. you need to change come up with what they need so very often there is a divide between what you think they need and what they actually need so the solutions have to come from them so we have really worked practically with what they want the 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 beneficiaries have dictated our attitude so there is i think a lot of material there that can be processed into really good information so i think that is one of the fields where we would really love Absolutely. Uh, people with expertise to come and look at what we have done and uh, and write. We have a tie with few institutions here, academic institutions, but uh, you know it'd be nice for. But that is more for students to come and do their dissertation work when they're doing their master's program. But uh, yeah, we are looking at somebody with uh, with this knowledge, with academic record, to come and translate all of this into some papers. That would be really interesting because yeah, we have such a strong database and. Uh, you know, sure, we can take out so much from the work that we have done over the last 22 years. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to put the website up now on the screen. Uh, so this is the reason I'm putting it up. So now tell me. So uh, look, a, a, a good chunk of this podcast has, you know, viewers outside India. In fact, uh, let me tell you very honestly, most of the time I get so many emails from my viewers and they always tell me, how do we, we don't even understand, you know, who does what and, you know, how do we do about it? So if I was to tell you guys, yes. So if, if you know, so how, uh, so how can people, let's say within India or outside India, how do they go about if they did want to support Sharana monetarily? Well, they can, uh, in the website, there is a, there is a button, a contribute button. And uh, if they want, they can directly contribute there. We have the FCRA and uh, the Indians can contribute in the IC account. But uh, there's also an option to write to us directly and, uh, you know, introduce themselves because we are okay to the fact that, you know, sometimes donors are interested in giving particularly to women's programs, women's issues or children. That kind of, that kind of uh, flexibility is certainly allowed. So either they can reach out to us directly via the mail or, you know, contribute directly using the website. 
so these are the two options and this is how we have worked because you know we have received mails sometimes directly from from people who are interested in contributing knowing more about the organization they want to establish that that you know that kind of personal touch with us who are we and you know it's nice for them to see the website but it's also nice for them to get to know us a little bit and then we have nurtured this contact and then they have gone on to support uh, the projects so otherwise they can also directly contribute so this is one thing i like to say as an outsider looking into sharana what i have noticed is that whenever we have donors coming in uh, we are extremely open to them auditing the programs that they have given money for or we tell them that this is what we are doing and what i have noticed with rajkala is that you know because she is extremely competent with her knowledge as well as extremely good communication skills she actually withdraws after an initial introduction she withdraws from the visit and she lets the donor with the social worker inform go to the field and check for themselves so we are extremely transparent that way with regard to fcra we are we we, uh, we welcome every scrutiny the government is putting up with oh we welcome it we welcome it a lot as well as for our donors they are free to go and audit the work that we do yeah. and we and, and and the board members or you know the the founder she doesn't go time and again i have observed that she after a brief introduction which is almost like a curtsy she actually lets the the social worker take the uh, the donor to the field and they make an independent assessment so that way we would like to assure our donors that should you want to do an audit we welcome it absolutely we welcome it we 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 will we we uh, if certain donors require a certain amount of paperwork from us we do it you know because their their donations also have to be audited so we are, we completely understand that and we really that way i i from an outsider looking in i have rarely seen this sort of, this sort of uh, transparency because i don't work on the field but this is something i have noticed from the start yeah yeah it is i think yeah, it's, I think it should be mentioned yeah. you know like i think what we do right we should speak yes <laughs> and what is rare we we really do not discuss uh, the the program in the in in in, a, in an office you know yes. serving them tea we we say go ahead go and look yes. you know if you're saying this is what has happened to that girl go ahead and check go yeah. and talk to her you know and yes so, i mean we are not afraid to show them uh, that yes. we have failed sometimes yes. right i mean we have not succeeded sometimes so it's okay it's okay to 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 tell them these stories most important is to ensure transparency correct and uh, that we take pride in that yes absolutely and rule compliance yeah compliance one more thing uh, one more thing i wanted to talk about was you know a lot of times when we get into the the world of uh, social work and stuff like that uh, one thing i've noticed is it tends to be that uh the admin cost right the admin cost so, so so as a donor if if i'm a donor and i'm investing x number of rupees so so what happens is uh, uh this was something that peter singer came up with this concept of effective altruism and it was uh, built up by other philosophers and there is this interesting thing you know everything has a western certification even this is like western certified so there is this uh, website called givewell.org right so they uh, audit uh, ngos and they audit everyone and these ngos are good so, so why i'm mentioning this as a passing reference it has nothing to do with you guys is that you know those nations have actually mastered the art of communication sometimes so in my view they 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 have these institutional ways of taking uh, taking a look at this but 
having said that uh, you know it was an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you you know i was going through even whatever you guys sent me but uh, i did not want to say this i in fact did not even tell you guys offline about this whenever we've had a chat but i actually started reading your work i actually went on your website and i had done my own homework so i was reading as much as possible i was trying to understand because of my own background of working in rural india and slums in mumbai so so actually i could relate to a lot of things you were saying i could relate to a lot of programs and problems that you know you you face and it's very interesting that i sit here in maharashtra and my, most of the work i have done in the last decade or so has been maharashtra centric so so it's very interesting how culture also plays a role you know how cultural uh, nuances lead to different experiences but you know it's an absolute pleasure talking to both of you so i'll leave the last words with both of you so so if there are any closing comments please uh, go for it Anyway, first, Kushal, thank you for giving us this platform. I mean, I I am a regular listener, and I'm uh, actually quite happy to be part of uh, your program and and especially talk about Sharana. And I'll tell you uh, my experience with Sharana. The reason why I wanted to get an out of uh, a different experience for my life, I, I I keep telling the social workers that you know. Uh, i don't think i contribute anything to the organization you have no idea what a life experience it is for me to be in such close connect with such reality and i don't again insist that this is not some romantic attachment to a poorer india not at all because that is not my background to me it is important to see the change i have seen the change in rural india where the farm is and i have seen the interventions here i have listened to the stories i have i have spoken to the beneficiaries and uh, and i listen to the social workers and grill them with questions and uh, you know to me this organization is not just a place i i just you know i have time let me do to me it has become central to to my growth and uh, really i thank rashkula for for allowing me to be part of it despite no real qualification but to me it has been life changing and i really really thank this opportunity to be part of this organization and to be able to speak about it today yeah uh thank you kushal for i think yeah i i don't even know what to say but uh, i think uh, the fact that you know for the first time we have also got this opportunity to reach out to so many viewers at uh, at one shot is something that truly truly i am grateful and uh, i think yeah the most important thing that i have always you know looking back 22 years that i have been working uh, very often the challenge that you know i have faced is that why is there so much of hesitancy by the indians to support indian organizations and uh, you know today when we are talking about like you know our organization is completely dependent on fcra funding i mean i would love to see the day when you know we receive maximum fundings or support from the indians from the locals as opposed to the westerners right but i'm grateful grateful to all the donors who have been supporting us and uh, so i don't know maybe this was perfect this was an opportunity that you gave us and you know with the hope that uh, things will our work will reach out to we will will reach people will you know the work that we are doing will speak for itself and as we keep constantly saying that you know we welcome visitors please it's not just coming and uh, coming and visiting the website you know we are happy to welcome visitors to come and take a trip to come and visit our work and uh, and you know we are happy to present our projects and that is something that has always been my wishful thinking very strongly very strongly to see a day when 
we will receive more support from the Indians. And uh, yes, I mean, I thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity for this podcast. And uh, yeah, looking forward. The pleasure is all mine. First of all, you know, before we close today, so congratulations to both of you and your entire organization. You guys are doing fantastic work. As and like I said before, you know, as someone who has been involved in uh, in social welfare and different kinds of activities, I I can totally relate to the problems you guys go through. You know, even even the slightest problem can lead to the complete decimation of one's uh, a, you know reputation or the organization's reputation so i know how careful one has to be when uh, when one goes and you know does this so so first of all i salute your spirit and your dedication uh, once again guys uh, whether you're watching this on youtube or whether you're going to be listening to this on the audio platforms doesn't matter whichever one you are uh, used to uh, in the description i have left the the link to the website of sharana it is s h a r a n a .org you can just go and visit the website you don't have to trust me or anything go visit the website look at their work check it out and if you're convinced i know a huge chunk of this podcast is you know the diaspora indians मुझे बहुत सारे लोग हमेशा ईमेल करते रहते हो कुशल भाई कुछ बताओ क्या करना है कैसे मदद करें इंडिया की भाई ऐसे मदद कर सकते हो इंडिया की ऐसी ऑर्गेनाइजेशंस की मदद कर सकते हो और लाइक दे सेड इट्स नॉट जस्ट अ मॉनेटरी एस्पेक्ट दे लुकिंग फॉर वॉल्टियर्स दे लुकिंग फॉर पीपल हु कैन राइट एसेज हु कैन डू ऑल सॉर्ट्स ऑफ थिंग्स इन साइड ऑर्गेनाइजेशन एंड विद देर ऑर्गेनाइजेशन इफ यू आर यू नो डाउन देयर इन पॉन्डिचेरी डू गो एंड विजिट दैम दे विल बी मोर देन ट्रांसपेरेंट इट योर वर्क एंड लुक माई जॉब थ्रू दिस पॉडकास्ट वेन आई स्टार्ट इट वॉज नॉट जस्ट शाउटिंग अबाउट पोलिटिकल थिंग्स आई वॉन्ट टू टॉक अबाउट अ वाइड अरे ऑफ थिंग्स अ वाइड range of things that cover different aspects of life so it doesn't matter if it's mixed martial arts and the next day i'm talking about some organization doing work in rural india on uh, you know women's empowerment and stuff like that the, the the main aim of this platform was to give a platform to a multitude of voices and and i hope i am successful in that and i just want to close today's podcast on that look if you want to do the right thing all you need is um, a little bit of a never say never kind of a attitude and and you know i appreciate rajkala and all these guys are doing fantastic work so once again please go and visit their website give them a look and if you like it please support them and if you like what i do please support the charvak podcast too i will see you now i know i did not do a podcast on monday so i'll compensate by, uh, for that on saturday and also friday will be the will have another podcast i will leave you guys at that as always you know please support the podcast like the channel like the video subscribe to the channel leave your comments and i will see you guys next time until then take care bye bye